Hello and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. The Digital Banking Report has just completed research on the impact of the pandemic on financial marketing. We found that changes in almost every area of financial marketing were more dramatic than in any of the previous seven years we've done the report. This is primarily because consumer adoption of digital alternatives advanced years in a matter of weeks. We found major changes in marketing spend, solution prioritization, use of data and technology, and even marketing talent deployment that will unlikely revert to pre-pandemic norms. Some of these changes represent accelerations of previous trends, while others are new trends altogether. It is yet to be seen the duration of these changes, but each deserves a careful review. To discuss the findings of the State of Financial Market Report, we're joined by Barry McCarthy, President and CEO of Deluxe Corporation, the sponsor of our report. In this episode, we will discuss this year's findings and the ramifications for financial institutions in the future. So welcome to the show, Barry. First of all, I want to personally thank you for again sponsoring the State of Financial Marketing Report that's now available on the Digital Banking Report website. This is not the first time you have sponsored the report, but it definitely represents the most important research we have done together on financial marketing. As a result of the pandemic, marketing has taken center stage, uh, being responsible almost overnight for the communication of major changes in the way consumers were forced to do their banking, and even in how financial institutions could potentially support consumers during this difficult financial time. Barry, in working with financial institutions in a wide variety of ways at Deluxe, what are some of the most dramatic changes you've seen as a result of COVID-19? There's been a number of changes that I think COVID-19 has brought to the industry. And I think it starts with how customers in the end are served. Everything from more touch-free experiences from obviously no, for example, or limited access to branches, limited changes to ATM screen flows, et cetera. So I think the customer experience has changed pretty dramatically, I think, first. I think, second, the way that institutions go about marketing and talking about themselves has changed pretty remarkably also. I think historically, the message has been why our bank is great for a small business. And I think the messages have instead turned, or consumers, and instead the message, I think, has turned more towards a general advice and how to survive a pandemic and how, uh, you know, a bank or an organization is stepping up to support the community, not just individual business or an individual consumer in the marketplace. I think that that's big. And then ultimately, I think how the financial institutions and otherwise are building solutions for the future. Obviously, for an environment where work is going to be more from home, traditional employment centers will have less density. And I think that changes the the needs of consumers and small businesses in particular pretty markedly. Yeah, I I think, you know, it's interesting because when you think about this, everything you just brought up and everything that happened on March 13th on, really impacted marketing directly. They were really put in the spotlight. You know, they immediately had to communicate to consumers, oh, by the way, we're closing branches, here are your options. They immediately had to communicate to small businesses, oh, we have some loans available for you, here's what you need to do. And and actually, marketing was in a 
unenvious spot, having to communicate things that they knew nothing about because the government, you know, pretty much dropped it in their laps on a Friday and said, oh, we're going to offer this immediately. And, you know, financial institutions wanted to raise their hands and go, wait, that doesn't work that way. We don't work that quickly. In our research, some of the most significant shifts we saw were in the increased prior, the reprioritization of initiatives, things such as lending, which ended up increasing probably because of PPP. But consumer retention and brand, as you mentioned, became major. But there's a drop in focus on acquisition and cross-selling. How important do you think is the position of brand in today's environment compared to what it was prior COVID? I think it's incredibly important. And I think financial institutions recognize it as well. And I think that's why their messaging has changed fairly profoundly. So instead of positioning against each other, and of course, financial institutions would rarely if ever comment about a competitor, but they would talk about why their bank is better. And if you inspect what their messages are today, it's much more about we're with you in this fight. We are for the community. We are here to support small business much less about the features or benefits of the bank in particular. I think that the financial institutions are trying very hard to position themselves as friends of the community, friends of the consumer, and friends of small business. And that is a fundamentally different position than our financial institution is the right one to choose because we have these following features or benefits. It's about what you do to support the community. Fundamentally different. You know, one one of the things that Deluxe has done over the time is you've really moved towards being a data company, helping organizations with data analytics, being able to find marketing programs that leverage that data. But that becomes really important when you look at the considerations with regard to mortgages just alone, because, you know, I may have delayed a mortgage payment for three months because I wanted to put money into savings, not because I couldn't pay my mortgage. But the, the use of outside data to be able to leverage it for inside purposes because you don't want to talk to everybody the same way because they aren't all the same. You're finding that as a case too, aren't you? Absolutely. You know, one of our core businesses, we acquired a few years ago, a company called First Manhattan Consulting Group. It started as a bank advisory business for a couple decades and more recently has become a data-driven marketing company that is able to help financial institutions you know, micro-target a solution to an intended target, an individual consumer or an individual business. And that targeting happens by using a variety of publicly available data, data that's proprietary to the bank, plus data that's available from third parties like Tri-Bureau credit data. But what that machine learning tool that we have at FMCG and the artificial intelligence system actually take all that data, combine it through multiple algorithms to identify and target an individual consumer for an individual offer. So the days of, hey, anybody that is moved into town might be interested in a DDA, that sort of gross level marketing is insufficient. It really needs to be targeted to an individual consumer or business's needs. And uh, clearly data and the availability of data is driving that, but so are you know, AI and machine learning tools, which is one of the things that Deluxe does to help financial institutions grow, help them micro-target to help identify specific targets 
for a product or service. And when you look at this, you know, in our research, we found that 75% of organizations thought they were not adept at using AI and data for the development of next best product and next best offer. But when you're looking at that, you know, especially with small organizations that realize that you, you can't fake personalization anymore. It's not just about, oh, because you have a mortgage, we think you should get a second mortgage. No, it's mm-hmm. it's much deeper than that. It's, a, as you said, combination of internal and external data. Does it make more sense than ever to, and, and this is a leading question, I realize as I'm getting out of my mouth, that to partner with organizations that have that capability, because to build an analytic functionality in a financial institution, it's not easy to find those people. These people are in high demand, but does it make more sense for organizations, whoever they partner with, to partner to try to get that talent as opposed to not having that talent? Absolutely. You know, I think the way of the future is that only the very largest financial institutions will likely be able to invest to build their own teams of data analysts to be able to provide that level of support. That level of sophistication is going to continue to accelerate, and it's going to be very difficult for any one organization to maintain leadership, especially when there are third parties like Deluxe, but it's not just Deluxe, that can deliver ongoing support where they're doing multiple campaigns across multiple financial institutions at different places in the country and different geographies where they just are going to have more opportunity to learn for their machine learning tools to get better all the time. And it will make it very difficult for any one organization ultimately be able to keep up with that pace of change because a few organizations that will be available to provide service to those financial institutions will just get better and better and better over time because the scale and scope of what they're working on makes their their tools so much better. And it's just a, it'll be an obvious pathway, I think, for financial institutions to find partners there rather than building it all themselves. And it's interesting because when you look at those partnerships and what we found in the research, and, and this is not just in research around financial market. We saw this around research around data analytics. We saw it about digital transformation. We've seen it around innovation. It feels like financial institutions know what needs to be done. They know the mission at hand. They know the challenges they have. Yet when they rank prioritizations, they prioritize some of these things very low. And even though they rank them, I mean, we found this in this year's financial marketing report, was that the prioritization of data analytics was really quite low, given that they know this is important. So there's a, there's a paradox here that doesn't make any sense. Do you see this as well when you're, when you're out there? I mean, you meet with many, many more financial institutions than I'm able to reach. But do you see this to be an ongoing challenge that the organizations know what needs to be done? It, it's actually pulling the trigger. That's the difficult portion of it. I think that's very insightful. You know, financial institutions, you know, have lots of smart people in their organization helping run the show and guide the ship towards the future. But financial institutions in general are not noted for the speed at which they move. And that's largely for good reason, because their business is, you know, wants to be safe and secure. They don't want to make mistakes because the stakes are so high. But I've not talked to a banker any time in my short tenure so far at CEO of Deluxe, where I have not heard an urgent demand for better data analytics and insight into the customer base, how to grow, who to target, not only just for targeting purposes, marketing purposes, 
but for building better products, to be able to get the feedback into the bank about what the consumer likes or doesn't like, what has happening in the marketplace. And I think there's deep awareness. I don't think there's any bank that I've talked to that doesn't have a deep awareness of that need. I think that because they are creatures of habit, there aren't just existing budgets that can be moved from one thing to another. So that there's not just a pool of money that can be dedicated to investing in data analytics, AI, machine learning. It just is, there's no bucket of money that's there. And so that requires a bank to step into it. They can't take a giant leap all at one time, so they step into it over time. And I think the demand and the desire today is far exceeding most organizations' ability to support the demand of operating management to deliver against those solutions. And honestly, that's also why third parties like a deluxe can be so successful because they have a variety of models, whether it's, for example, one of the models that we offer is that the business, a financial institution, they have pay for service or they have pay for performance. And a pay for performance model, they don't have to have a budget. They can simply hire somebody like Deluxe First Manhattan Consulting Group, and they can pay only when they actually close a sale. So they don't have to have operating budget, which is another way to step into an experiment with data analytics to help them grow their business. So, you know, another thing around the tipping point moment, Barry, was the fact that we really have seen a major shift towards digital communication channels. Um, When we asked uh, financial marketers, what was the biggest budget changes due to COVID-19? The biggest one was email marketing. That's not surprising because we had to immediately communicate to consumers how to do their banking. A lot of these people, we had to restart. Now, what was interesting is how important would it have been to know who currently uses digital channels versus who uses only the branch, which most banks did not have that capability. But when you look at email marketing, when you look, the second most reported change was in paid social media content marketing. I mean, content marketing, we've talked about it. We've we've played around the edges. But, you know, you know it as well as we do. Um, part of what we're doing right now is content marketing, the, the ability to use content as a way to reach out and communicate with consumers. But content marketing also becomes part of brand, doesn't it? it it's all reinforcing the overall theme that says we've got to communicate and market to consumers differently in this environment and going forward. Is that not true? I think it's absolutely true. And I'll, make, I'll give you a really specific example about Deluxe, and then I'll tell you about how it ties in with with financial institutions. So at Deluxe, we use content marketing very aggressively to help promote our company. And we created a a television show called The Small Business Revolution, in which we go to a small town and we help the small town rehabilitate Main Street. We pick eight businesses and we help them reinvent themselves, whether it's financial issues, whether it is marketing issues, brand, logo, web design, we help them reinvent themselves. And then, of course, we, put a, uh, we build a TV show around it, just like some of the real estate shows that are, you know, fix up a home instead it's fix up a business. And it allows us to provide lessons to small businesses. During this pandemic, we've created a spinoff. And actually, that program became the, it's the number one program, lifestyle program on Hulu. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on YouTube. It's, you can see it in Delta Airlines if you happen to fly in a plane. And it's a way to get that message out to small businesses to provide them help and insight on how to grow. Created another spinoff called the Small Business Big Heart, which was all done virtually as part of the pandemic, talk, helping small businesses talk about how to succeed. 
And so we've had a number of financial institutions that want to partner in that program because they recognize the ability to deliver a message in a way where they're actually educating a consumer or a small business is incredibly powerful. It's so much more powerful than trying to have a 30-second TV ad or a 60-second radio commercial about their bank. Instead, they're actually delivering value and demonstrating that value for many millions of people to see. Hugely, hugely valuable. And we think that this whole idea of content marketing, we're going to continue to see evolve and accelerate especially I think post-COVID when consumers and small businesses, they just don't want to be marketed to. They want to be given value. They want to learn. They want to be given insight to help themselves be more successful. And then I think our data would suggest those businesses or consumers then want to respond and reward those financial institutions that taught them something and helped them through a difficult time. Well, you know, this is interesting because when you really look at the issues of trust, all the things that consumers look to banking and, and important components of the relationship with banks, you know, you look at trust, but we're going to come out of this with consumers in a much more aware state, but also they're going to remember who their friends were, who is there for them during this difficult time. And we've gotten some recent news around the fact that some financial institutions have not necessarily seemed to have the consumer's interest in mind. And, and you know, even some of the best organizations like USAA had a situation where the first checks came and they had overdrawn people's accounts and for their benefit. But then those payments were supposed to go immediately towards the overdraft and the consumer's going, no, I need that money. Well, they immediately adjusted. So it shows you have to be agile. You have to have the consumer's interest in mind and the small business interest. And I think this is an opportunity for retail banks and credit unions to really shine because they're going to have to respond to their community in a way that I don't think many organizations quite feel the pain yet because we've artificially propped up consumers and small businesses with all the government stimulus. It's why the stock market's doing well. It's why a lot of things are doing well. But if you look down your main street and you see organizations that are maybe going at 50% capacity, they're only able to do that because of the stimulus package. That is not a good long-term business plan. Neither one of our firms could do well if only 50% of our consumers, our customers, our businesses asked us to do what we do. I think around the the ability to communicate and to provide services, small businesses and consumers are going to, as you said, need the content, but going to need the help. And it's going to really differentiate their organizations. That's a new kind of marketing, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that is the way of the future. We were already seeing it before the pandemic, but I think the pandemic just radically accelerated it. I think businesses, and you know, we support four and a half million small businesses So we talk to a number of small businesses, 4,000 financial institutions, and the consistent theme is over and over again is help me. Don't look at me with sympathy. Help me. Yeah, government stimulus is good, but I got to find another part of my business. So we have a number of – in our Small Business Big Hearts program, we showcase a number of businesses and how they transitioned from being dine-in restaurants to curbside pickup so they could continue to operate where we have a number of, for example, a distillery and a brewery that our customers of ours transitioned temporarily to be making hand sanitizer. So the ability to move quickly and modify a business plan is what I think businesses and consumers are just desperate for. Give me an idea 
that I can use to make my business stronger. Yeah, financing is important, right? That underlies everything. But I don't need just a stimulus check. I need ideas and concepts and things that I can go execute in my business and insight so that I can make my business more successful. Yes, I'll take the stimulus check to help me get across and build a bridge to the future, but I really need ideas on how to operate my business more effectively and get through this. It's interesting. When when we looked at the way organizations are marketing, I think what's becoming very evident in the research is that, number one, you have to be agile. That was forced upon us. You have to work really well in remote locations because we've all had to do that, work as teams. But the focus on marketing again and, and the ability to not only do marketing better through digital channels, but then to measure it. So when we looked at the research this year, the use of marketing automation, the use of content management systems increased fairly significantly compared to 2019, relatively big shifts. What is interesting, though, is that CRM platform usage went down by 10%. It's gone down over the last three years from, um, yes, we currently use from 54 to 49 to 39. Now, what's interesting is I'm not too sure if that means that they've stopped using CRM platforms or they're redefining what that CRM platform is, the awareness that there's really high analytical tools available. And I think, you know, Deluxe is another firm that really helps on the analytics. You know, if you're not measuring it, it's not getting done. That focus is pretty high, isn't it? You know, absolutely. And so on this whole notion of customer relationship management, I think there's probably a couple stories behind that story, right? So I think that businesses have better understood that there are true tools available to them to do customer relationship management. I think if you'd ask small businesses a few years ago, they would have said, yeah, I've got my note card thing here, or I know Mrs. Smith, or I've got a punch card program, and that is my customer relationship management. I think as the CRMs have gotten more sophisticated, it doesn't surprise me that more businesses are saying, I'm not engaged in that because I can't afford one of those big systems, or I'm not involved in that. I don't think it means that they care less about their relationship with the customer. I think it is that they're recognizing how they go about doing it may be actually different. And I would actually expect over the, you know, especially post-COVID, I would expect to see more businesses be interested in trying to, in some way, mechanize that relationship so they can be deeper. It's all part of the same story, right? Earlier, we were talking about when you're marketing to a consumer, it's not good enough to say you just moved to town, so therefore you should want a DDA at my bank. That's dead. Why is it that you, Jim, should want a DDA at my bank? What is it specifically about your circumstance that my bank can solve? And likewise, I think the same is going to be true for small businesses, where each of their customers are going to want to have that same level of at least modest customization. I mean, everybody loves to walk into someplace and be recognized and appreciated and valued. Whether that's the dry cleaner, it's your neighborhood restaurant or pub, it is your clothing store, your car dealer, the guy that fixes your car. People want to be recognized and they want the experience that they want. And that's going to be, I think, an accelerating need especially for all the interactions, because they're so they're going to be fewer, I think, as a result of COVID, because I don't think we're ever going back to just what it was, sort of freewheeling. And so each one of those contacts are going to be more important and more demanding, and the customer is going to expect a better experience. And the only way to do that is by understanding them better and uh, using data for that, et cetera. When you look at the future, 
What do you see as being the primary trend that we're going to probably see in the marketing of services, both to the consumer and to the small businesses? Do you know, I think it's going, well, a first, a first we've already talked about, it's going to be customization for sure, where the messaging may not get extremely micro, but it'll be much more targeted and on point. I think that the frequency, I think we've been seeing an, a, an expansion in frequency where there was just, if you couldn't get the message tight enough, just increase the frequency and maybe you will get breakthrough. I think that that's going to wear out. I think it has worn out. And I think that there will be less frequency, far more targeted and much higher quality. So instead of, you know, low fidelity postcard in the mail, I think that we'll see people getting much more sophisticated tools that talk about their specific circumstance, whether it is email marketing, physical direct mail marketing, telesales. I think that that experience will get much more customized and personalized. Or links to content. You know, we absolutely using using text to say, by the way, we have some new education you might be interested in. And that's on my text as opposed to email or anything else. And then people come back and go, "Okay, here's a link to the new content we've just created education. Exactly. But it's got to be targeted. So I know that you are a restaurant and that you are an Italian restaurant. And here is a use case business case that someone else did a small Italian restaurant in a different part of the country was successful in doing X. Here's an example. Hugely value creating, and the benefit will accrue to whoever delivers that insight to that, that business. Okay, so the elephant in the room is we've talked about the importance of marketing. We've talked about that it actually increases because of what's happened with COVID. The fact that we have to have better data, better analytics, better targeting, better personalization. This all takes money. We're going to be coming into a period that budgets are going to be, uh, I'm not going to say slashed, but they're certainly going to be tougher to come by. How would you, if you're a financial marketer, how would you try to position the importance of your role from the standpoint, and I think I know which way you're going to go, but uh, you know, how would you, how would you make it so that you don't lose a lot of budget when you probably need it more than ever? So if I were a marketing or product owner in a financial institution today, I would be making the case on multiple fronts. First, that the financial institution's recovery is entirely dependent on keeping customers and getting more customers. So making sure that the product we're offering to them is really is not only competitive, but it's superior. Second, I would go hard after how do we create value for our customer beyond what's the demand deposit account or the credit or the line of credit or the credit card? What is the additional value or insight and connectivity that we can create for that customer? Which it could be expressed in content marketing. It could be expressed in the relationship with a personal banker. But I would absolutely go long and push hard on making that happen. And the third thing I would do is I would look at my own customer base and I would ask for a budget to look at my own customer base where I can sell them an additional product or service. It's gonna be easier for me to likely cross sell someone that I have served well in the pandemic, and I reinforce for that customer that I have re- that I had been a good partner in the pandemic, and that you should reward with more business. You wouldn't say it that way, of course, but that is the notion. And then I think as far as media and public spending, I would look to partner with someone that could do work for me on a performance basis. 
Because when I can find someone that can deliver for me on a performance basis, not a pay for service, but a pay for performance, I literally have unlimited budget to go after and drive my market. So I would, I would make sure that the, my financial institution was going to help me in my first three points. And then I would go long and hard to find partners to help me drive um, on, a, on a pay for performance basis so that I could, I could get the best of both worlds. Maximize the dollars I have, targeting the best I can with greater customer experience differentiation, and then use third parties on a pay for performance basis to go over the top. Which really underlines the importance of measurement. Yes. Because if you measure it, you're going to, you're going to, I, I remember when I was a marketer in financial institutions, I realized that my biggest friend and biggest enemy is the guy in finance. And if I could talk numbers and I could say, this is going to drive this and have confidence it's going to drive that, that the measurement of those results get me more budget because I've brought the value proposition to the table. And, and you know, there's never been a time when marketing tools haven't been more available at a lower cost to provide that measurement. So thank you for being on the show. Appreciate the opportunity. So that was a really interesting conversation with Barry McCarthy, the president and CEO of Deluxe. What's interesting, though, it's the underlying theme of our research and of the marketplace is that financial marketing has never been more important. The role of financial marketer has never been more important. And I think what we have to realize is what we're marketing going forward needs to be personalized and customized. It doesn't necessarily have to be around a product, but over a solution that helps the consumer and small business do business better. The importance of content marketing is greater than it's ever been. And overall, the importance of measurement towards the use of data and AI and measuring results is the only way we're gonna get budget going forward. Thanks for listening to Banking Transformed, rated as a top five banking podcast after only one year. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to Banking Transformed on your favorite podcast app. In addition, please take less than a minute to provide a review. It lets us know how we're doing and provides a springboard for bringing more world-class guests to the show. Finally, be sure to catch my articles on the financial brand and look out for our new research on financial marketing, innovation, customer experience, and the future work as part of the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A great big thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and our audit engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. I'm your host, Jim Roots. Until next time, make every day a learning experience. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.